0: One of the mothers who I met in Elah, who had evacuated from one of, I think it was from Kibbutanirim, and she had lost one of her sons, and so she said to me was, she's holding it together because the whole Jewish people are holding her up. And she feels the love and the unity of all the Jewish people coming to support them, and that helps her wake up every morning.
1: Welcome, everybody. This is Ordinary People with Extraordinary Stories, and I'm joined today by Burya Afun. Burya is and her husband are co-directors of Or Chabad. Um, they've been working on establishing a new Chabad resort town in the Negev. Welcome, Buria. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you've also written quite a bit for Chabad.org. You are a journalist. You write on Chabad.org's news site quite a bit, and you also have a uh, a large following of people who are listening to you for updates on the war in Israel right now. You give a lot of people a lot of not only information, but a lot of inspiration. So thank you so much for taking from your busy schedule and joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, Bur- thank you. <laughs> Burya, tell us a little about what the situation is like right now where you live. Mm-hmm. So I live in Beersheba. In the beginning, it was
0: it was a lot for us. Um, a, the very first day, we woke up to a lot of sirens nonstop the entire day. Uh, a rocket had landed not far. You from mean our this house. is the very first day of the war? I'm that was in Simchastara. Hmm. Yeah, we woke up six thirty, like everybody else in Israel, to sirens um, because we're in the south. We had a huge volley of them. We were in our bomb shelter almost the entire day. Uh, we did the simchas tara a in our house most between the bomb shelter and our living room table um, wow we also had a give rock, us a little bit of an idea of,
1: mm-hmm. give us a little bit of an idea for those who don't know israel like how far are you from the actual attack where the actual mm-hmm. attack occurred in 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 near gaza okay so the closest attack was about a 15 minute drive from our house the
0: truth is there was also an attack Be'er oh, wow. Beersheba. So quite close. A terrorist did come to Beersheba, mm-hmm. but thank God he wasn't successful. Um, I mean, the way it works in Israel is you only find out things because the, the grapevine. So my friend's mm-hmm. neighbor's grandfather's apartment building was shot at, which is about a five minute walk from my house. So the terrorists were shooting at their house, wow. but everybody was indoors and um, the police eliminated him before anything could happen mm. um, there were other terrorists on the way to Sheva, and they were caught on the way mm-hmm. so thankfully um, we didn't actually have terrorists here just heavy rockets a lot of landings one near our house and the brunt of it was between
1: 15 minute drive of our house. Wow. And I know in our little uh, pre, pre-recording pre you were having a little trouble with the connections because you have some interceptors right above your yep. house that are, yeah, so yes. I guess that's... The a- Air Force base is actually right down the road from my
0: house, right outside Bar Sheva on the side that we're on. So all the, I mean, there's a few Air Force bases in Israel, but this is the one closest to Gaza. We constantly hear the airplanes, the jets take off on the way to Gaza. We kind of learned how to tell the difference between you know the different sounds what they are and we know which one it is that messes up with our internet and our cell phone reception um simple things like in the in the first days we changed the uh battery to our car key a couple times because it wasn't working unless we went right up to the car until somebody let us know that (laughs) it's not that the battery was out it's just the interceptor planes above was ruining the reception. We're ruining
1: it. Oh wow, wow. Yeah. So all these like little things that are little taking things. place during the war that really affect daily life, I guess. Yeah. But there's also a lot of big things, and that's what a lot of what you've been reporting about. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a feel of what some of the things that you've been doing? I, I know you you've gone to what you called the bomb shelter park. Tell us a little about that. Mm-hmm. What is that? So in the first days
0: of the war, we we had a lot of sirens here in Brzezawa. And um, uh, for a lot of people, the natural response is to stay inside because instructions are to stay near a bomb shelter. In Beersheba, thankfully, we have a whole 60 seconds to run to safety. You know, in central Israel, they have a minute and a half, but closer to Gaza, some of them only have 15 seconds. So we feel really lucky with our 60 seconds. But when you have kids, wow. 60 seconds means you need to be very close to your bomb shelter all the time. So for a lot of people, that means staying inside all day. Um, but that's not, it's not healthy. It's not good for the kids. It, it increases the trauma of the experience. When, you know, you're trapped inside, it's important to be around friends and a support network when you're going through a traumatic experience like this. So we're very fortunate that nearby our house, there's a playground that has a giant underground bomb shelter. Um, there's a few Underground. Underground. So there's a Above ground, a little space that has a staircase, and then you go down under, and underground there's a big space. So there's a lot of bomb shelters like this, but most of them aren't close enough to the park to get there with your kids within 60 seconds. We're very lucky because there is one like that near our house. Um, The walk to get there is a little bit nerve-wracking because it takes us three minutes to walk there. So there's about one and a half minutes of the walk where... Thank God we have never been caught during that one and a half minutes, but it is a nerve wracking one and a half minutes.
1: Wow. Um, Do do you run, do you run there or do you walk? We walk quickly, (laughs) you know, (laughs) first
0: few times we went, it was, we we had a whole protocol with the kids. They stay right next to me. They can't be too far ahead of me or too far behind me. Um, We walk fast and the whole walk, I say, if there's a siren goes off while we're here, we're gonna run back to the house. Now, if a siren goes off when we're here, we lie down flat next to this fence and put our hands on our heads. And the kids have practiced that. And then I say, if a siren goes off while wow. we're here, you know, that's where we're gonna lie down next to with our hands on our head. And then when we get up to the point where I think we could make it, I'll say if the siren goes off here, we run to the bomb shelter.
1: And um, Wow. The kids so have memorized something that. as small as going to a park. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And something as small as going to a park has become a whole, can I ask how old your children are? So my oldest is 11 and my youngest is six. And how are they dealing with that whole situation? Um, Now they're doing much better.
0: Now they're doing a lot better. Now that they're back in school and they can, um, they have a normal schedule every day. They could talk about it with their friends. We had a very nice break of about three weeks without any sirens here. Um, we think it's because the main launchers towards Bersheva were all destroyed. And then there were a lot of misses around Beersheba where they were trying to figure out, you know, how to retarget. And then today we again had our first one in a while. Um, and that threw the kids off because when it's regular and they were expecting it, there were a few a day, they were kind of which is not a good thing, it's not a good thing, but they were on edge already.
1: Right.
0: So when there was a siren, they sure. were already on edge, they were already ready to jump up and go. Um, they were used to that lifestyle. Today, it came as a surprise, they were thrown off. So we had to go back to that place of learning how to unwind after, how to resettle, how to not be afraid. Um, my daughter had just gotten comfortable enough to walk over to her friend's house and back. So we backtracked on that. But, you know, the truth is I wasn't expecting her to be already at that stage. Um, hmm. They for the first month of the war, my three youngest kids would only sleep in the bomb shelter and spend most of their day over there. It took a while to because they entered. were afraid they were afraid. They couldn't fall asleep if they knew that they would have to jump up out of bed at any moment. Our bomb shelter is hmm. really small, though, It's small and the it's thick, thick cement walls. It's ideal. It's not ideal to sleep in a bomb shelter, especially when the shutters are closed because you don't have air circulation in there. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very small. They were sleeping on mattresses squished together. But in their bedrooms, they couldn't fall asleep because they knew that any moment they would have to jump up and run. And why relax if you know that you might have to be on edge? And um, they were of also course. nervous. They have friends that live in the cities where there were shootings. And they knew that there were mm-hmm. terrorists in Beersheba. So they were also nervous. Um, they just felt safer in the bomb shelter that if something would happen, they would be safe and they would be able to shut it and lock the door. So, mm-hmm. my, did I say my youngest is six? She's four. I'm sorry. <laughs> my four year old. She's four. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. My four year old. No problem. <laughs> anytime she goes to the bathroom, she first comes and tells me or asks me, Mommy, will you come get me if there's a siren? Um, or anytime wow. she goes to a room alone wow. mommy will you come get me if there's a siren she makes sure to tell me wherever she is because she doesn't want to be caught alone um, and I've reassured her a million times don't worry I will always come and get you I would never leave you alone if there's a siren my first thought is where are the kids and I count three youngest right. to oldest to know where they all are but she still needs that reassurance every single of course. time Of wow! that I'm aware where she is I know it's, where she it's is it's scary
1: for such a child It is.
0: It is. And it's not just the siren. They hear the explosions also. They hear the big booms. And there was Mm -hmm. a couple times um, when we were at the park and one time the siren went off too late. So the kids saw the rocket overhead. It was very frightening for them. And another time there were too many kids at the park. So when you have 100 kids that need to go down a staircase, it ends up being a bottleneck. So the rule at the park is the kids go first and then the parents go last. kids, the elderly, then the adults. Um, But that one time my daughter, my four-year-old was afraid to go without me. So she got stuck in the back with me. And she was also, again, that time outside when the Iron Dome explosion happened overhead. And it, Mm -hmm. it looks frightening and it's loud and you don't realize how loud the rockets overhead are because usually you're in the bomb shelter with the door shut when it happens, but it's really loud. It sounds like an airplane right over your head. Um, so it was very frightening, very frightening. So there's, I'm sure. Um, there's a trauma that comes with, with each siren and with each rocket. And each time it happens, we have to unwind again and regulate the children again. How do you,
1: how, how do you do that?
0: Every time it's different.
1: (laughs) My kids like to
0: look at the map um, and have an understanding of what's going on. So we look at the map and say, Mm -hmm. these are the places where there was a siren just now. Um, They have a lot of questions about it. We talk about how there's the army protecting us, and then there's Hashem protecting us. God is protecting us. And there's things that the army does to keep us safe, and there's things that we do to keep us safe and to keep The army safe, like saying Tehillim, saying Psalms, um, doing mitzvot, having, you know, doing acts of kindness and having acts of unity, and all of those things help us protect us and also help the soldiers to protect us. Uh, And that could be very Mm -hmm. empowering for the kids because they know they're doing something to help. Um, My kids have been very fortunate. They've got to visit a
1: lot of army bases and bring um i was just going to ask you that like on on the one hand you know your children i mean you you try to protect children but on the other hand you seem to be so involved with your children to go Mm -hmm. to different places Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: they're actually seeing a lot of what's going on whether it's army bases or in a lot or in soup kitchens or whatever you're you're very much with the children and uh, i'm wondering about that tell us a little about that
0: it absolutely helps them because I know that in the U S it might be possible to shield the children from what's going on here. It's impossible. The kids know. um, Until a few days ago, I was able to say they knew almost everything. And now I would say they know 98% of everything, including the things I was trying
1: for them to not know um, because somebody told them. Um, You mean the the whole mass, all the massacres and what happened there? So
0: they, they knew about the massacres. They didn't know they didn't about matter. the horrific parts of the massacres. So they knew from the very they first know. day because mm-hmm. it was Simchat Torah. We didn't have our phones on. I didn't feel like I needed to turn on my phone. I know a lot of people, when it's an emergency situation, they technically you are allowed to check your phone on Shabbat to understand what's going on and how to do safety measures. I felt that because we had a sturdy bomb shelter and we were next to it, I didn't need to turn it on but when there was a lot of smoke around our house and a lot too many ambulances to understand um i went outside with my kids and my husband to see if we could figure out what was going on and a neighbor said that hundreds are killed dozens are kidnapped and my kids heard that so straight off on the first day they knew there's posters everywhere in israel everybody talks about it my children have friends in the cities where there were shootings and killings um, so they know everything.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, wow. and yeah, you can't, it's impossible to shield the children. You here. can't shield. them. You can't. Right. So for them, especially my older kids, they feel much more empowered when they have a full understanding of what's going on. My boys can explain everything. They wanted to know who are all the different armies involved and what, how does the idea protect against each one? What are the different fronts? So it looks at a map to understand it all. It's very important for them to understand all the details and it gives them, I don't know, some sense of control of the situation. When we visit the right. soldiers now, then they suddenly feel like they're helping. Or when we, their favorite thing to do by far was packing boxes in the soup kitchen. It was their favorite thing to do. Um,
1: where where was the soup kitchen? Let's hear about so this. So
0: Ofakim, to begin with, was a very poor city.
1: Um It was a how room, far is that in in relation to where you are? Fifteen minutes drive from us. Fifteen minutes drive, and that's closer to. It's
0: close to Gaza. Gaza, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ofakim, to begin with, is a very poor city, very neglected, um, in need of a lot of help. And then a large amount of terrorists made their way there on Simchat Torah. And the terrorists clearly knew the city of Ofakim well, because there was a new neighborhood in Ofakim, which is a normal entrance to come through, that is uh, majority policemen. The terrorists went around through side roads and came to the older neighborhood. In the older neighborhood that people don't have bomb shelters in their homes, so when the sirens went off, everyone ran to the outdoor bomb shelters, and the terrorists waited for them there. Um, wow. A few people involved in the soup kitchen were were killed. A few people who had been dancing at the Chabad Simchat Torah the next day were gone. Um, so it was the the city was hit very hard. So Chabad has a soup kitchen there that has works together with the city the city sends people to the chabad soup kitchen and the day after the war broke out suddenly their clientele quadrupled some because they didn't have family anymore i mean fathers and were were killed um and a lot a lot of it in the beginning was for two weeks people didn't leave their houses it was too frightened Mm -hmm. they didn't know if there were still terrorists wandering they were traumatized. Sure. There were horrible sights in the street. They didn't want to see the bullets riddling the sides of their houses. So, wow. Um, a unit of soldiers actually came to help Chabad deliver. Armed guards came to help Chabad deliver the uh, meals to people's houses.
1: Oh wow! So the Ofakim soup kitchen is not in one place. It actually del- they deliver food Delivered. to the different. So they used to people. they used to be in in
0: one place. They had to completely change. Plans. The day the war broke out, they went from serving around 100 people on a weekly basis to hundreds daily and delivering. So the entire layout changed to packing boxes um, and delivering. And so thankfully, they got a lot of volunteers, but it's a poor city. They didn't really have funding. So I called up. I'd actually I wrote about them for an article on Chabad.org. And then I spoke with the uh, Chabad rabbi in charge of the soup kitchen. And I asked him how are you paying for this? And he said, I have no idea. We just know this is what we have to do. And then when the war is over, I'll look at the bank account and figure out what to do next. But I don't know how I'm going to cover it. So um, my husband's cousin, Harley Feller, is amazing. And she had asked me, um, how can she help out? She has an organization and she wants to see how they can help out. And I told, asked her, you know, I said, maybe you can set up a campaign page for Chabad Fakim. Fakim. Um, so she opened up a campaign page for them with help of um, the Chabad office in Crown Heights. Um, and we started fundraising. She shared it with her network. I shared it with my network. Um, we went over to you know show people what they were doing. And my kids loved packing the boxes. And when they were packing the boxes, they asked the rabbi if they could put extra cookies in each box, because they said, people need to have good treats when they're in the bomb shelter. <laughs> So, you know, thinking about the practical things there. Oh, wow. So if anybody got a box with a of lot course. of cookies, they know that my kids
1: packed that one. <laughs> yeah. That's so sweet. So, yeah. you went with your kids to this Oh Fuck Kim soup kitchen mm-hmm. and helped out there. Like, yeah. what? What? how long ago was this? Um, this was during. Sometime
0: in. The, listen, the days and, and nights are mushed together. I have no idea.
1: Mushed together. <laughs> sometime. sometime I, I'm saying, weeks. was there. Were you worried? I, I know there's a lot of rocket fire going on there. Were you yeah, worried about that? Yeah, so
0: we weren't worried. Um, weren't my worried. kids get on edge from the rockets, but they're not scared of them. There's It's a hmm. – I don't know how to okay. explain yeah. it. They one, one son actually enjoys the rockets. It just puts them on edge because there's an adrenaline. So right. my adrenaline junkie son loves the rockets and wants more and more. Um, my other kids, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> But it, it puts <laughs> right. them on a bit of an edge because they're prepared for it. They're ready for it. And there's an unwind after each one. And they have to constantly think, hey, am I in a safe zone? But if they know where's the nearest bomb shelter and um, that there is a bomb shelter locally, they're fine. So they're okay with, in Ofakim, there's 45 seconds. Uh, we've been to places mm-hmm. where there's 15 seconds and they were fine with it. Um, wow. wow. Yeah, We went to Moshav Patish to deliver toys. My father-in-law brought, I think it was 19 duffel bags full of really nice toys for the children that were in areas heavily affected. And we went to deliver where, them. Where, where, Where is this Moshav? Moshav Patish is right on. So there's the area of all the kibbutz and yeshivim and Sderot that were evacuated. And they're exactly on the line that's like Oh, so they're still there. That's if, right. so they're still there. So uh-huh. that's why we went there to bring to them. They, wow. thank God, Moshev Patish, the terrorists were killed right at the gate. So they mm-hmm. didn't get in. But what happened was all the um, youth who were fleeing the music festival went to Moshev Patish. That was mm-hmm. you know, the first Moshev in the line of where to run to. I mean, not all mm-hmm. of them, but a lot of them who ran in that direction. That's where they ended up. Right. a lot of the heroes who drove back and forth to rescue youth were from there were from there
1: wow, yeah.
0: wow. Yeah. so there it's you hear the artillery everything's constantly shaking um mm-hmm. you, you can like feel the ground shaking from from the operations yeah. and you only and you only have 15 seconds to, 15 seconds to so actually yourself. i asked the wow. people there i said ask them how many how much time do you have when there's a siren and the majority of them said I don't know if I'm close to the bomb shelter. We'll go into it. If not, we lie down and put our hands on our head. Wow! Um, so, wow!
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like you prepared your children very well. Like you, you give them enough information and preparation so that they can handle whatever it is that is coming their way.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank God. But the truth is that it's not the first time for my kids. My youngest, I mean, not my youngest, my second child was born right before Operation Protective Edge in 2014.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he was born into three months of, and in those days, Bershev had a lot more rocket fire than now. It was mm-hmm. almost every hour. I remember, you know, put the babies in the bath, siren, take them out, go to the bomb shelter, um, put them back in the bath, siren again, um, put some food on the stove, siren, turn off the stove, come back, the food tasted terrible each time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we used to actually get a lot more here um, I mean now like at the highest times it was five or six a day but my kids are used to it they've had an average once a year a couple weeks or one week of, of rockets we've had this conversation many times they know how to regulate, they know how to calm down from it they know that they're helping by saying thumbs and and doing good deeds and being kind and going out to help um, and at this
1: what, point, what it, was their, yeah, what was their reaction when when they were giving out the toys? How did the kids feel about it? Oh, they were so happy to do it. They were just, they were so happy that they're on they're able to help
0: and do something about this. Rather than on the first day when we were just sitting in our bomb shelter, listening to the sirens and listening to the explosions and wondering when we're going to be able to go you know go to the bathroom or get food to eat. Right.
1: Right. So wow. now to be out there
0: doing something, helping, and, and making other kids smile
1: was really meaningful to them. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. What was the reaction of the children that you gave the toys to? Were they traumatized? Were they, like, what was their mood like?
0: Um,
1: the truth is a
0: lot of the kids at that time were still in shell shock. So their faces mm-hmm. were very stony. Um, They were definitely excited to get the toys and happy to be receiving something and happy that people were thinking about them. We told them that they're from the Jewish community in England. They were like in awe that Jews outside of Israel are thinking about them and sent gifts for them. And my father-in-law flew in from England to bring it to them. So it was very, they were very moved by it, but they were still in a state of shell shock. So some right. parents after, you know, sent me messages or, or videos of their kids playing with the toys, this was in the beginning, um, last week we went, uh, my husband's cousin, Brad and his, his relatives in Arizona sent a donation to buy a lot of toys for kids that have been relocated to a lot. So a lot of the most traumatized communities in a lot. There's actually seventy thousand families displaced by the seventy thousand people displaced by the war in a lot right now, including sixteen thousand children, and the Chabad shluchim there are doing wow. incredible work to take care of them. So each hotel has, you know, a different kibbutz or moshav staying there together. So we brought toys, um, Lego, nice sized Lego sets, you know, the, the type that the kids love to get. Um, we bought about five hundred of them. gave them to the kids there and I did a whole fun event somebody called Simcha on wheels came and did some dancing with the kids and a lot of parents came up to me to tell me it's the first time we're seeing the kids smile since the war broke out and this is like I think it was 54 days in even some in the back of the room there were some grandmothers some softas and I went to talk to them and they're like I don't have a kid to bring to this event but I came because I heard that the kids are smiling and I had to come see it for myself. Um, one, one lady wow. even, she told me that, and then she went and she came back a minute later and she's like, this is my son. He's on reserve duty up in Lebanon, but he got a day off and he flew down to visit her because from Lebanon, from the far Northern border of Lebanon down to is a So he came by plane to visit her for 24 hours and he was resting and she went to get him because she said, I need him to see that the kids are smiling smiling and it'll it'll give them strength to go back to the war they were so that was the first time that these kids were smiling they were getting along together the hotel staff who the kids actually made a speech thanking the hotel staff for being patient with them despite the fact that they drive them crazy and the hotel staff stayed to the way end of the event i think it was 11 p.m and i was wondering you know they could have gone home already and they were standing there chatting and smiling after all the kids had taken their toys and gone. And I went, I was, you know, wondering why they're still there, they can go home. And they said, You don't understand. If we saw the kids smiling and getting along, usually they spend the whole day fighting, getting on each other's nerves, they're on edge, because they're these are very traumatized kids and they're not home. They're used to running around free in a kibbutz or in a moshav and you know, biking around all day, and now they experienced a huge trauma. They don't have their own belongings. They're inside of a hotel building where, you know, instead of beautiful green fields, it's hallways lined with doors. Um, instead of a playground there's a big conference room. With sure. the carpet. And they're like, the kids were smiling, they were having fun, and, and they're like the hotel staff were on a high from seeing it. So it's something where, wow. you know, thinking wow. of these children, Incredible. showing them that the Jewish people in America are thinking about them. It and giving them a good time. It it made there's a huge difference to be made and the truth is I feel like we owe it to to these people and these kids because they were standing guard on Israel's borders and um lost a lot because right. of it.
1: And they they were doing that for the rest of us. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Well it, it was I it was thanks to you that I actually interviewed Khani Klein from Elat, mm-hmm. from Chabad of Elat.
0: Um She's amazing. put
1: me in touch with her and amazing what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. And the incredible thing is how many people, how many refugees are are actually there, yeah. you know, just, but you're seeing it like on a first, on a first hand basis. Yeah. So when you come there, how do you know who to even go to, like even what to do? It just seems so overwhelming and just so, like such a huge tragedy. Mm-hmm. So much people, so many people. Mm-hmm. How do you even know where to start? You know, I got to,
0: the first time I went down to Laos was because was in the way the first week of the war, like a few days after the war broke out. Um, and my first instinct when the war broke out was, What can I do? I can write. So I was writing. And then my husband said, We need to get out there and do something. Let's call the Shlokeman Eilat and see if they need help. And they said we desperately need titzit for the soldiers. So we went, we got way to hole. You know, at that point in the war was really hard. There was a titit shortage. Uh, we found, we brought them, we drove them down. And that was in the very beginning. And it's also how we began our friendship with the Kleins, Hani and Mendy Klein. Mm. Um, we saw them at the very beginning when it was the emergency point where mothers had fled the massacre and went into labor. And they were, you know, mm. six mothers just had a baby and they fled with nothing. They needed strollers and car seats and baby clothes and diapers and wipes. And there were people who had nothing and needed, you know, food, clothes. And it was just a mass effort to get everything that they needed and just dealing with the very, very basic emergencies. um, We went, went back to a lot three times and each time, and we've been in touch with the clients in between and got to see how you know they figured out what was needed and went along and created a solution to the point where now their phones are ringing nonstop with all the different um, staff from hotels, asking them to come help and do programs there. And it went from, Mm. they started making programs in one hotel to now they're doing it in 45 hotels for 16,000 children. Wow, Um, incredible. Yeah, I mean, they went and they saw, the first thing they saw was that you had a hotel with 250 families and three washing machines. And Mm. it's not like they even had a lot of clothes either. They came, some families didn't have time to pack, Anything, Uh, sure. Nothing. They just took what they could, right. And some had maybe one change of clothes per kid, and then they had to share three washing machines with two hundred and fifty other families. Um, so I think one of the first things that the clients did there was get washing machines for each floor of one of the hotels. And then word Mm -hmm. spread that they did that and the city stepped in and did that copied and did the same for all the other hotels. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning was the Mm -hmm. very basics, and then they saw that. The kids don't have school. They came from a really traumatic experience. The teenagers themselves disappeared, which is very concerning because you have teenagers that experienced huge trauma. They don't have school. They're bored. And they're in a city that's used to um, tourists and has a nightlife that's not known for being completely legal. Um, Wow. The teenagers were disappearing. The parents weren't recipe for disaster. Sure. Recipe for disaster. So they, um, I guess it was a few weeks ago we were there when they did the first- um, chala bake um, brought chala dough to one of the hotels and the kids came and they got to make their own chala and the mothers got to help their kids make chala and they don't have kitchens they they're away from their home giving their kids whatever the hotel is serving um, and they're used to being able to feed their families what they like to feed their families and now they can't so they were able to make chala with their kids and then have freshly baked it was it so then it kind of blew up and spread from there where all, they started doing daily events. So the kids would have regular activity every day with volunteers who would, the same volunteers showing up every day to build a relationship with them. And then they created the most important, I think. I mean, they have a lot of activities for the kids and the mothers and the parents. I think really the most urgent and important thing they're doing is making CT in rooms in the hotel's. Some of the hotels, not all of them, gave them a room for the teenagers. They got ping pong tables, foosball, maybe air hockey, PlayStation, and then a bunch of table games. And some volunteers come every night from about 9 p.m. through midnight, sometimes later, and sit with the teens and play with them and talk with them and have meaningful conversations. And it's the teens are
1: there instead of who knows where. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. It's it's just You know, you're you're giving us a little picture of of so many things that are going on, like in so many different places Mm -hmm. by individuals who are just stepping forward, whether it be, you know, a cousin in Arizona or a father-in-law in in England or Mm -hmm. a shliach in Ofakim or, you know, everyone, just individuals stepping forward and doing their part to... Brighten the life of one mm-hmm. other person or a few other people. You and know, that's, that's what I guess that's
0: One of the mothers who I met in Ela, who had evacuated from one of, I think it was from Kibbutz Nirim, um, mm-hmm. and she had lost one of her sons. Um, and so she said to me was, she's holding it together because the whole Jewish people are holding her up. And she feels the love and the unity of all the Jewish people coming to support them, and that helps her wake up every morning.
1: Wow, that, that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. I, I, I guess you know when it seems like the tragedy is just so overwhelming, that's what we do. That's what we do for for that one mother, for mm-hmm. another one mother, and in this mm-hmm. way, we try to heal at, at least to whatever extent we can whole world. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really beautiful. Yeah, Tell me a little about, I know you're, you're also had this secret mission to some elite, <laughs> elite um, army, army stations. Could you tell us a little about that or?
0: I can tell you a little bit about it. Um, okay. Can I say we'll take whatever it. we can get. <laughs> so
1: there's, um... why were you, why were you involved and how did it go and what happened?
0: You know what? I don't even know how to explain the why part. I think from the beginning of the war, my husband and I put ourselves out there as in we're here to help in whatever way we can help. And by putting ourselves out there, we were able to make so many amazing connections and be able to do so many things. I'll tell you, for an example, one thing that might explain this is one day, this happened literally in five minutes. A soldier messaged me, Uh, Actually, the wife of a soldier messaged me um, that his unit needed new armored vests and um, tactical shirts before they went into Gaza. And they had raised half of the amount, but they needed $8,000 more. And they also needed someone to bring it in from the U.S., from the supplier they had ordered it from. Within minutes, a Rebetzin from a Chabad community messaged me. My community raised $8,000. They want it to go to an army unit for tactical gear. Do you know who to send it to? And somebody else messaged me another, wow. Rabatine, I'm coming to Israel in two days. Do you need me to bring anything? And I just connected them wow. all. And it happened. Wow. <laughs> um, and the thing is that this That's has incredible. been happening so much, so I don't, it's a whole long chain of events. How we connected to this elite unit. Um, I can't name them. But like, another miraculous story like this, and they needed help with certain things, and we knew people who could help, and we had to make the relationship. So we met them, and we got onto. We met at a nearby moshav within the um, evacuation zone, and uh, they put armored vests on us and helmets. Got us into the Hummers or Jeeps and drove down the highway and into Gaza. um, Wow. Into Gaza itself. Into Gaza itself. Um, This was during the ceasefire.
1: Fighting is going on.
0: So fighting, it was a ceasefire, but fighting was going on. Um, We had to cut our trip short because fighting broke out nearby and we had to get out of there.
1: Wow.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the entire thing that happened, thankfully, was a successful mission of a successful connection, and I can't take a cent of credit for it, because it's literally just God guided all the right connections to come together and make what needed to happen happen, and Mm -hmm. these soldiers actually said to me, and this is something that really strikes me every time I meet our soldiers, especially the most um, elite units and the commanders, is that these are like fierce, fearless soldiers, but they're also the most soft, gentle, kind people you've ever met. Um, Literally, we were standing outside in the sun and they're like, you're going to get sunburned. And they moved their um, armored vehicle to make shade for us. (laughs) And I'm like, like, (laughs) you have been running through dodging bullets and you're worried about me getting a sunburn. Wow. Incredible. Um, One of them told us, he said, listen, I haven't put on Tavillin since my bar mitzvah up until this war. Um, I don't usually fast on Yom Kippur, but ever since this war broke out, my unit, we put on tefillin frequently. We all wear tzitzit into battle. And we always say Tzvila tzadereh, the traveler's prayer before going on any mission. And he said, I know that the Jews around the world are praying for us and I ask you, please keep praying for us. Pray for us strongly because we see that your prayers are working. So most of the time, it's in ways that I can't explain. You can just tell that God's hand is guiding us. There are missions that they did not think the whole unit would come out of. Uh, they frequently go on extremely dangerous missions that they don't think they're all going to come out of. And thank God until now they have. Um, and he said, we just see that the prayers are working and they're helping and we need you to continue. One of them showed me a few videos that he had hmm. on his phone from houses that were burnt down in the kibbutzim. Um, I think they were from kibbutz Beri, because this unit, they're a reserve unit, and they had all, on Simchat Torah, immediately ran over to Beri. And he showed me on his phone several videos that he took of the entire house was ash. For example, in one video, sitting on a table at Tehillim, a Psalms, in perfect condition. And he said, I took this as a sign that what we need most right now is prayers. And um, a side point, God, well, this unit, wow. they all showed up on Tunghah Torah to, to Kibbutz Berry. A lot of them came without weapons. So quite a few of them are medics. One of them's a, a doctor. And they just knew that they had to be there. So they just went to Berry without weapons and The ones who didn't have weapons got weapons there from fallen soldiers. And those are the weapons that they're using now in the war. Um, At this point, every single one of them in the unit holds the weapon of a fallen soldier and says that that's, you know, a reminder of, you know, we're fighting for the Jewish people and we have to do this for for the Jewish people.
1: Wow. Incredible. Just incredible. Really the most... How long were you with... Mm -hmm. how long were you with this unit we spent like how long did you spend in gaza
0: um we were in gaza only for an hour we spent a few hours of the morning with them
1: getting to them understanding what they so i'm just Mm -hmm. yeah you you were gonna say something you were gonna say a message i think
0: no i was just just saying how amazing our soldiers are that they're almost an oxymoron and anybody who lives in israel and has interacted with our soldiers will tell you that they're brave they're fearless they'll go out and do anything and this commander who's i think in his 40s i hope he doesn't get mad if i'm overestimating um told me that he's <laughs> never seen soldiers this capable that are giborim Hussein, hebrew um Hero, I don't know how to translate people mm-hmm. Um, Just fearless heroes. A, a strength. Yeah, fearlessness. Yeah. Wow. But then at the same time... What do, you,
1: what do you think is fueling that? The,
0: this is what they said, is that we have to do this for the Jewish people. We have to do this for all I mean, the soldiers were... I I freeze up thinking about it. They were explaining a mission that they need to go on or that they wanted to go on for. Um, and they said, we know that a quarter of us might not make it out of the, if we do this mission. And he said it with the most straight face, but we have to do it for the Jewish people. So they they go on, they go through really dangerous places. This is the unit that goes places where you don't think the army goes. And he said, but we have to do it for the Jewish people. So they're the most brave, wow. fierce fearless, selfless soldiers, but then they're also these gentle, soft people full of faith and full of love for the Jewish people. And it's facing them is like a complete oxymoron. And you realize that, you know, this is what the Jewish people are. We wow. we don't want to be fighting. We don't want to be doing war. We do it because we have to. Um, we do it because we have an obligation to protect our people and to protect our nation. But what we really want to be doing is, you know, it says, Asaph wants to fight. Yaakov, the Jewish people, we want to, you know, sit, learn Torah, do mitzvot, do good deeds, take care of each other. And that's who they really are. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you know, there's soldiers that were worried that we were going to
1: get a sunburn. Incredible. Wow, incredible. Maria you know I, I just find it incredible like it sounds like your whole life is almost on pause with the war just trying to help out in any way that you can you and your husband did is it like did you put everything on on stop like how how, how are you doing this
0: there are some people who I work for on a regular basis who are not so thrilled about this Um I have been doing less work than I usually do <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> um, wow Wow! But it's how can I not? You know, the, it's the call.
1: It's the call of the hour. It's wow. the call of the
0: hour. The the Jewish wow. people are, are going. You know, going through the hardest thing in in decades,
1: um, and we need to do what we need to do. Wow! Yeah. Incredible. What. It, what what message could you give? I mean, you're you're speaking now to an audience which is probably mostly Americans, mm-hmm. um, in Chutz LaAretz, people outside of Israel. What message would you like to give to mm-hmm. people that are listening to you right now? What would you like them to know and to to do? I guess for the people in good Israel, it's a good question.
0: I think first of all, we're nearing sixty days of the war, and it's easy to you know. Most people are moving on with life and moving on to different things. Um, and I ask that you don't forget that there are there's still a war going on in Israel. There's still a hundred thousand, more than a hundred thousand displaced people in Israel displaced by the war that are still suffering and still need your help. There are still soldiers in Gaza who need your prayers, wounded in the hospital who need your prayers. Your prayers, your good deeds. Unity, the unity of the Jewish people makes a difference. Our soldiers, our incredible soldiers who are putting their lives on the line, asked you to pray. They said that your prayers help. So please don't lose that um, motivation, and that energy. Momentum. The momentum. That's the word I was looking for. Don't lose that momentum even as each day goes on and the war drags on. Um, Remember us. Remember our soldiers and remember our displaced families.
1: Wow! And there's I mean, causes we're, to we're help. One nation and we're we we need. <laughs> yeah, to, I mean, if people to want help, to donate. I know you're. a parent. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Chabad of a just launched a campaign. Um, mm-hmm. if you can imagine running programs for. 70,000 people, um, there there are expenses, especially with Hanukkah coming. And there's also the soldiers. Um, they have more than 50,000 soldiers to bring donuts to and Chanukias Han- to light the menorah on Hanukkah. And you have also all these families that evacuated. They barely packed clothes. They definitely did not pack their Hanukkah menorahs or Hanukkiahs from their homes. Um, and Chabar HaVleila is taking care of all of them with their regular physical needs, things like washing machines and clothes, and also things like programs that they have a consistent life and schedule going on, um, and can begin to heal. Um, so if you can donate to that, absolutely, would really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Burya, give us one last like glimmer of light in all this darkness that we can hold on to.
0: Well, um, I'd say the glimmer of light is really, and anybody who's in Israel also sees this every day, we went from right before the war being a nation torn apart wondering you know, what's what's the future of Israel? Between on, on political means, we were stuck on political arguments and being completely torn over it since the war broke out we've realized that that's not it, that um and we can't afford to argue about these things because we're all we have and inside we all have the same soul we're all part of one people i told you about the other day when we went on a mission with that elite unit and we're still working together with them and when i say we i mean a team of um some you know you would say Tel Avivnikim who before this war would have, we would have never met, we would have never spoken, we would have never had anything to do with each other. They I don't know if they would be stepping into um, you know, a Chabad house or a typical program. Maybe they would, because intelligent people still do step into Chabad houses, but people that might've been on the opposite political spectrum of me. And at this point of the war, political spectrum doesn't matter. We're working together. Um, we spend hours together, hours on the phone together, working together towards the same project and the same goals. And none of that matters because we've we've all come to the realization that what matters is that we all have the same soul inside. Um, and that's a big glimmer of light for all of us.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Berea, thank you so much for joining us. May we me. witness... May we witness open miracles, and Amen. may you no longer Amen. have to run from the rockets, you know, Amen. from with your children, and may soldiers be safe and secure, and all our people, and all those that have been hurt or sick or or injured should be healed, and of course the hostages Amen. should all be returned home. Amen. Wow, <laughs> that was an incredible interview with Buria Foon. But what I think what most stood out for me, the moments that stood out for me from that interview, was number one when she spoke about that mother. In a lot who lost a child and who said it's because of what we're doing what all of claus what all the jewish people are doing we are giving her strength as Bruria brought her something and she sees she's bringing toys for these children she felt that strength from all of us and i guess we all can give someone strength in whatever area that we're working on in something small that we're doing we can provide that strength And the other moment that stood out was how she described those soldiers as being such fierce soldiers, but yet so sensitive and so caring. And I I guess that's, that's one. And both of them are really the same message, how the Jewish people have this strength, this inner strength, this tremendous, um, feeling that we're going to continue and we're going to go on and we're, we will survive at the same time that we don't lose the sensitivity that we feel towards others. And I thought those points were really just so beautiful among the many, many things that Buria and her husband have been doing over the last several weeks since the beginning of this terrible massacre. If you enjoy watching this podcast, please make sure that you are subscribed to Chabad.org forward slash extraordinary. And please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. We are now streaming on all podcast platforms So you can find us there or on Chabad.org forward slash extraordinary. Thank you again for watching.